turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And we are talking about our conversation that we have with God. So we're jumping into the middle of a sermon that Jesus is preaching on a hillside in his day as he is an itinerant preacher in his day in this community around the Sea of Galilee. He is drawing crowds for sure because of his teaching, because of the miracles that are being performed. As he is teaching the culture, he's calling people to a relationship with him. He's calling people to follow him with a promise that you are going to be transformed. And this initiation of a relationship with Jesus, it's all based on the idea of repentance. What repentance means in in its core is that your mind needs to be changed. The way that you think needs to be changed. We think about ourselves all the time. We think very unhealthy thoughts about ourselves, about other people. We live out our lives according to the desires of our sinful flesh very easily, just the natural things that we do. And this whole call to turn our attention towards our creator, towards our savior, towards that which is true, requires a change of thought and how we think. And that's this whole idea of repentance. So in this whole message, the, the major topic is this idea of righteousness. What we covered last week at the beginning of chapter six, he says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds or your righteous acts before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no, no reward from your father in heaven. And that becomes this foundation statement for a few subjects. So last week we pressed into this idea of those things that well up mercy and compassion within us that we act out on, whether they're acts of service towards somebody, whether it's the giving of money, whether it's the giving of your time, those those behaviors, those righteous acts that you're pursuing to do, make sure that you're doing them motivated from your relationship with your father who created you and that your motivation is not based upon this whole idea of being on a stage and that your life is just a stage performance. Second subject that we're gonna press into today is the whole idea of prayer and the same subject matter. Don't let your prayer be a performance, but let's talk about what your communication really ought to look like with your creator. And then he gets into this conversation of fasting. Again, this other area of a righteous act that we ought to participate in as believers, not doing it for the stage performance, but in relationship with our God. What we're going to do this morning, so we're going to really press into verses 5 through but we're going to read all the way down through verse 18 uh, because we're going to be in this section roughly through the end of January. So we're going to go through prayer very slowly and fasting is tied to prayer. So let's read through this. Verse five says, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. A hypocrite is a stage actor. Uh, the makeup is on. You're acting one thing different from what you really are. A pretender is the idea. So in your conversation with God, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corner, corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. But surely I say to you, they have their reward. They've been paid in full. But you... When you pray, go into your room, 
And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. And those are the verses we're going to really drill into this morning, but let's keep reading. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, not just your personal creator, but our creator. He's our Father, positionally seated in heaven. Hallowed, holy, separate, dedicated, consecrated be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth, just as we know that your will is perfectly performed in heaven. Give us this day, today, Lord, our daily bread, all the provisions that we need today. And forgive us of our debts My sin makes me a debtor. I owe something because of my sin. And his forgiveness is what frees us from that debt. And because of your forgiveness, Lord, may I forgive those who have sinned against me, those who have debt towards me. Do not lead us into temptation. We all feel the pull towards other things other than towards God. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us, save us. Put us into a position of safety from the evil one and from evil itself. Why? For yours, Lord, this whole creation, it's all about you, your kingdom. All authority is yours. All glory is yours. Not just today, not just in the past, but forever. Amen, let it be so. For if you, church, if you forgive men and women their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad sad countenance, For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to be fasting, appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly." Hold your place here. We're going to turn right back. But I want you to turn to Luke chapter 18 quickly. I did not study this out and really think about this as I was preparing for this morning. But so I was in the back of the room worshiping. This passage came to mind. Um, and, I, and I love this encouragement from Jesus. So this is Luke chapter 18. He says, he spoke a parable to them. That men always ought to pray 
and not lose heart, same. So everything that we're gonna read here in just a moment, the point of what Jesus is teaching, the encouragement is for you not to lose heart, not to lose heart in your circumstance, who you are in Christ, the hope and the promises that he's given to us, not to lose heart in pursuit of conversation with him constantly. And this is the idea, the the Bible encourages us to pray without ceasing. And this is what this means. You have an internal dialogue going on when you are awake continually, correct? Right now, you are thinking a whole bunch of thoughts. Some of them might be good thoughts. Some of them might be bad thoughts. Some of them might be on the text. Some of them might be on Georgia losing the football game yesterday, which I read this morning. I had to throw that in here somewhere, right, for all you football fans. This is the idea of... Praying continually is inviting God into your internal dialogue conversation. What are you meditating on? What are you thinking about? And whatever you're processing, make sure that that's not an isolated, independent conversation away from your creator. You invite him into that conversation, and that's the idea of praying continually. All right, here's this parable. There was, a certain, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. She give me a black eye is the idea. Now, This is not God's attitude, but what he's expressing is for us to have this widow's heart in whatever you're seeking God for. Be persistent, be passionate, not to get your way with God, but being persistent in your relationship with him, trusting that however he needs to change your mind, However he needs to change and heal the circumstance, he's going to bring about his will. That's the emphasis of this. So then Jesus says, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, and this is, this is what pops into my mind. When the Son of Man comes, when Jesus comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And that's that challenging question. Lord, when, when, you, come, when you come, when you step into my context today, when you look into my mind, my life, my circumstances, am I, am I truly living out Great faith in my relationship with you. When you come, Lord, are you going to find faith on this earth? It's a, it's a really challenging question because what faith is, it's not, this, it's not this wishing unicorn magical formula intangible thing out here. Faith is something that's substantial, It has substance. There is a history that feeds into our current understanding and knowledge about who we are as creatures, who Jesus was in the flesh, his death, his burial, his resurrection, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, why we've gathered this morning, our confident expectation that he is coming. So when he comes, I've always found this 
This isn't a religious poking you in the chest kind of question from Jesus. It's just one of these things that grabs your mind and pulls you to him. Because when I stand before my Savior face to face, I want him to be able to speak the words over me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my eternal joy. Enter into my eternal life. So this parable preaches to me, go back to Matthew chapter 6, this instruction that we have from Jesus in regards to our conversation with God. So what we have in our hands as what we define, this is the revealed word of God. God has made himself known, manifested himself in different ways, different times throughout history. He has made his words known to specific individuals throughout history that were to take those words and communicate them to their family, to their culture. And these words have been preserved for us. This isn't just mythology. This isn't just some made up religious story. We have a history preserved for for us so that we today, so that we can hear God's historical voice. And we're told through faith in Jesus Christ that the almighty God, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And he speaks to us in this internal conversation dialogue that we have going on throughout the day. And how do you distinguish between your voice from the voice that somebody else has said in history where their words are being repeated with your own voice in your own head? How do you know when this is the Lord's voice that is speaking to you? We have this instruction as we sit with his voice in our life and in our context, we're to test those things. Is that what the word of God says? Or is this some teaching from another human being, from a different religion? Is this just the imagination of my heart? Is this the news story that I read yesterday? Or is this the pepperoni pizza that I should not have eaten, right? Like, why am I thinking what I'm thinking? And does that line up with the revealed truth that God has given to us? So when we sit and we do Bible study, we read these words, the weight and the emphasis is on listening. And that's also a prayerful part of the two-way conversation with God. He wants a relationship with each one of us, an intimate, real, spiritual, and ultimately in the future, face-to-face, fully unveiled relationship with us. And it's powerful. But he uses our human relationships to help us understand that kind of intimacy that we have with him. He'll use a spousal relationship. He'll use a parent-child relationship. I'm bringing that up now because we are all listeners. I'm speaking right now, and you have the fortunate or unfortunate privilege to be listening. On this side of the conversation, you're listening. And that's what we do when we sit at his feet and we open up the word, we listen. But as Jesus is teaching, now he's getting into what do you say back to God? And in this instruction, he's telling us that your conversation with your creator should not be a stage performance. And it should not be what so many of us have learned from religious circles and religious contexts of what this conversation should look like from God. For instance, you walked into this building this morning, this may be your first time here this morning, but as you come, You have a, you have a, there's a respect, you know why you're coming here, but the first time that you enter into a social environment or a religious environment, 
you want to know what the rules are. So when you step into a religious environment historically, whether as a child with your family, it communicated to you the rules of that community. And in a religious environment, those rules often define for you of what your behavior needs to look like religiously as you communicate to God. Some religions are going to teach you do not have the personal right and the personal access to go and talk to God on your own. You need to go through a mediator, another man, to have this conversation with God. That's what religion would teach. The Bible teaches what? Jesus is your high priest. Jesus is your mediator. You don't pray to Mary. You don't pray to a saint. You don't have to go to another human being that's alive and have them pray for you. We have the privilege of inviting other people into our context and to our conversation with God. Absolutely. But there's no requirement for you other than having faith and belief in Jesus Christ. You can't go to your creator independence of a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, he hears you. Yes, he sees you. His will is going to be performed, whether you believe in him or not, whether you like him or not, whether you're obeying him or not. His will is going to be done ultimately in the big picture and in many small areas of our life. But what he's saying through the cross, through his resurrection, through what we're told that he ascended to heaven and he's seated on the right hand of the Father, Jesus is there forever making intercession, interceding on our behalf. We're told that through faith in Jesus Christ, that the almighty God, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Romans chapter eight. We don't know what we ought to pray, when we ought to pray, in what manner, in what way, and what are we promised? The Holy Spirit is in you, leading your thoughts, leading that conversation, guiding you towards his will in that transformation and that behavior. So this is something that we're all invited into. So here Jesus' instruction is don't have a conversation with God according to the traditions of human beings, according to the traditions of a stage performance. Here the idea is here's a religious individual in the court culture on his way to the synagogue, that would be in, in church. If I'm just standing up here because of my title and I'm in, um, you know, like I'm communicating to you that I'm the only one who can pray in this environment, who knows how to pray, who can pray in a way that God is going to hear me. But if you talk to God in your way, God's not going to hear you. That's, that's a lot of what religion communicates and it's false. A lot of people put on these pretenses to convey this idea that there is this classification within the body of Christ of here's a baby Christian and here's a mature Christian. God doesn't listen to the prayers of the baby, immature, ignorant Christians that are just learning about this whole relationship with God. God only listens to the PhD Christians who have written the books, who know how to write all this stuff down. Does that make sense? I mean, that's a lot of times, that's what religion would communicate to us. There's so many other applications that we could bring about. Some of you are going to be super administrative. Don't need a raise of hands, but some of you are going to have a prayer list. And when you engage in that conversation with God, you're coming to him in a business performance mentality that when you enter into a business meeting, you have an agenda. 
And for the first two minutes, we're going to talk about this. For the next five, we're going to talk about that. For the next 10, we're going to talk about that. We're going to adjourn, and I'm going to do, go do what I'm supposed to do. And God, you're going to do what I just told you that I need you to do in my life. Anybody approach God that way? This isn't a business meeting. This isn't a religious meeting. There is a creator who made the heavens and the earth. Oh, my. It's jarring to me. Like, who is he? And what is he that he spoke this into existence? What does that definition mean that he created us, male and female, in image of him? And he's placed us into this environment for the singular purpose of knowing him in relationship knowing that that relationship has been broken because of sin and death has entered in because of sin. But the cross communicates to us what he has done in payment of that. And this relationship with him through Jesus Christ, it's, it's, it's this overwhelming understanding that we can only know as we process through the word of God what is true in this, in this story of history that we have so that we can know him today to have our, our minds and our lives and our behaviors and our words just unclogged and unfiltered um, from this world and all the other ways that it communicates to us uh, what it means to have a relationship with our creator. And here again, Jesus' teaching is that don't, when you talk to God, don't be this stage actor. Don't love the, the public accolades that you get. Oh, wow, I, I wish I could pray like you. I wish I could talk to God like you. You're so put together. Just all those sentences that come out sometimes has nothing to do with your personal communication with your creator. They have their reward. They've been paid in full. Here's the motivation. When you pray, and again, this is, this is not dealing with those, that ongoing dialogue conversation. This is something that's set apart. It's specific. There's a routine nature to it because uh, a relationship has a, there's a constant. We, come, we enter in and, in and out of each other's uh, context um, in relationship and in time. So the emphasis here is just being able to However you need to, getting into your secret place, getting into your quiet place. For some of you, your, your quiet room may be out on a trail. And that's where you have the best conversations with God. This is when you can get everything off of the ch your chest. You're alone. You may be passing other people on the trail. But there you are having a conversation and listening. That might be your environment. It's not mine. I'm super ADD. I start, I'll say, hey, God, and that's all I'll get out for the next two miles because I'm just, my brain just wanders. It's not my environment. My personal conversation, I need my quiet space. I need something that's removed from distractions. I need something that it's, it's, uh, it has to be a routine for me that it's separated from my other routines where I'm not going to check my email. I'm not going to be distracted by the dogs, um, you know, the, the birds that are chirping outside. You know, it's something that I need to be able to wall off mentally so that I can focus in. For me, my personal prayer life is best when I have the word of God open. 
because he sends my brain down all different paths, whether it's, it's good morning, Lord, and you, know, you don't know where you want the conversation to go, and you just start reading, and you start having this two-way conversation with God through his word and back and forth, and that starts bringing up the things that you need to work on, what you were struggling with yesterday, what your agenda is for today, what you know that you have going on, and being able to lay all those things at his feet, that phone call that you need to make. All these ideas start coming up. And for me, again, to not be distracted, it's best usually for all of our personalities that when these, these other thoughts come across that you're able to write them down. I'll deal with that in a minute. I'll deal with that when I'm done. I'll deal with that later on today. But being able to separate your, the rest of your context into this secret place. It's an inner room. It's someplace that's free from distraction is the idea. Um, and again, this can be a two-dimensional space in your mind. This can be a three-dimensional space. It can literally be a closed and walled-off room or just someplace where you can get out and meditate and have this two-way conversation with God is the emphasis. Because it's in this secret place. This is where the Father says he sees... Uh, so. Pray to your father, one who is in the secret place. Um, this idea, the word for secret, the emphasis is, is hidden. And we have this understanding and this knowledge that there is nowhere where we can escape from his presence. God is, and God is always in our context, and, is, and he's always in our life. But this is that reality of where whatever you need to do to have your mind convinced, like this is just between you and God, and you know that he's in heaven, you know that he's on the throne, but he's hidden, it's secret, yet you know he's there in that context. This is a place that you're able to withdraw. It's secret, it's hidden, it's quiet. It's just you and your creator. And you can even have this in a room full of people. It's pretty an awesome privilege that we have. The promise, your father, he sees you, he knows you. The motivation of your conversation, not for the attaboys and the accolades of other people. You're not doing a stage performance before God. He sees and he will, the idea of reward here, he's not gonna repay you for your words that, he's, that you're speaking to him. But he's going to give to you everything that you need to live out a life of godliness, holiness, in relationship with him. First Peter has actually, it's Second Peter chapter 1, I believe, really presses into that idea. He's given us everything that we need in this life. He's going to give to you in a way that is, it's open, it's unhidden, it's not again, for others to see, but it's for you to know your creator was in that conversation and what you know that he spoke to you and is leading you in. When those things start to happen and he's giving you gifts openly in that relationship with him, it just has this snowballing effect and that growth and maturity is, it just, it swells in your praises and your understanding, your experience, your maturity in him, it's super awesome. When you pray, do not use these vain repetitions as the heathen do. This idea for a vain repetition, it's just meaningless words is the idea. 
I was telling my mom this morning, you know what heathen means? Heathen sounds pretty nasty, right? It's like calling somebody an idiot, a fool, a loser. I mean, these are the word, these are the synonyms that jump in my mind when I hear the word heathen, pagan, unrighteous, dirty, all that. That's not what the word, it means, you know, somebody who's, uh, you know, they, they dwell out in the country. They're, they're out of, um, they're like, it's, 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 the emphasis is on that which is popular. So in our today, in our vernacular, it would be don't engage God in the way that the popular culture encourages you to engage. So those who are heathen would be those who are, they're outside of faith in Christ, according to truth. So when the heathen, and the heathen could be people in, you know, that would be defined as Christianity in a religious environment that they're communicating to you to communicate to God in this particular way. Don't engage God in the way of the popular culture. In these meaningless words, thinking, and Jesus says that they're supposing in their imagination, they're supposing through their many words, through their babbling, through rambling on and on before God, that God has to obey their words. How many of you have ever engaged God, and you can raise your own hand in your heart because we've all done it to one degree or another, where we go to God and we're making this list of demands. God, this is who you say you are. These are the promises that you've given to me. I need this now. I'm expecting you to do it. Uh, you tell me that if I pray with faith as small as a mustard seed, I can make this mountain move from there and be cast into the ocean. I believe your word. Oh, Lord, I understand this. I'm praying in faith. Therefore, you have to do what I tell you to do. And you're trying to, you're using all of these long words, these religious words, uh, these religious formulas to, to force God to do what you want him to do. That's the emphasis of the instruction that Jesus is teaching. When you go and you have a conversation with God, don't use empty, meaningless, vain words that have zero definition for you. And that's why over the next weeks, we're going to press into these words in this outline that Jesus tells us, this is how you should pray. What does it mean that God is our father? You can run through our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom, the power, glory forever. Amen. Let's go. No meaning rambling, no thought. It's something that I've memorized. I can, I can speak these words in a conversation with God and pretend like that they have meaning uh, for me in that moment. And they, there's nothing there. They're meaningless. Or every single, that, that rambling that I just went through, this can have an infinite weight and impact on our conversation with our Father in heaven as we press into the definitions of what Jesus is giving to us as an outline, as a framework uh, for what this conversation and relationship ought to look like. So words that are not meaningless, words that are not vain and empty and repetitious, 
Um, this, uh, the repetitious uh, Acts chapter 19, when Paul is in Ephesus, there's this whole scene where we're told that the populace is gathered together in a stadium. And in their stadium, they're saying, great is Diana, great is Diana for two hours. Religion teaches us If you sit there and repeat these words, great is Jesus, great is, if you just repeat these words over and over and over again, that God is going to obey you. Or if you come to God with your, oh, most marvelous, holy, glorious, heavenly, high, exalted, uh, peaceful. I mean, you go through every single adjective description that you have of how God has made himself known to us according to the truth of his word. But if you use every single one of those declarations about who he is, all these declarations about reminding God of what he has done, all these different declarations about the promises that God has given to you, now when you give him your ask and now when you give to him your demand, he has to do it. This is what Jesus is getting at. That that has nothing to do with the relationship with God. And he ends this encouragement before he steps into the framework of the prayer. He said, don't be like them. Don't be like the religions and even the Christian religions in this world, the different denominations, the different orders of service. Don't be conformed to those behaviors in your conversation with your creator. Be free. And the emphasis and the weight of this presses into your father. He knows exactly the things that you have need of. All of this lack, all of the weaknesses, everywhere that you've missed, everywhere that you've failed, everything that you need to do his will today. He knows all of that before you even come and make your request known. Yet in that, and this is, this is one of those, then why does God want me to talk to him at all? If he already knows it all, if he doesn't want me to come in all of these, this religious framework, and here's this outline, and if I do my A, B, and C in prayer, Jesus is telling me that that's not the conversation that God is looking to have between the two of us. Why, why, why does he even want me to talk to him at all? Just do what you want to do with my life and we'll just move on. It's not how you engage any other relationship in your life. Hey, Julie, you know that you're my wife. Just do your wife stuff and don't talk to me. That would not fly at all, right? The kids, I've told you what to do one time. Go do what I told you to do, and we're going to be all right. We don't need to have an ongoing dialogue. Just go live your life. That's, that's not in the framework of any real intimate relationship that we have. Those people that you're tight with, that you love, that when they're upset, you're going to be upset with them those people that you want the best things in life for. What are, you, what are you doing in that relationship? You're engaged. When you first get to know somebody, you're, li- you're going through your whole list of questions, right? Who are you? Where are you from? Where are you born? What do you do for work? You know, 
Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. You go through all of this list of stuff, figuring out and getting to know this person and their personality. Do the exact same thing with God. Who are you? Where'd you come from? Nowhere? You've always existed? How's that work out? Why did you make this? What have you been doing through history? Who is this Jesus? Why did, why'd you make me? Why'd you make me here? Why is she my wife? Why'd you give me those kids? Can I have those kids? I never said that. <laughs> Ever. I love my kids. Your kids, not so much, but my kids. Right? We ask all these questions in, in life because we have lots of questions. It leaves us with questions. But in that intimate relationship, there is the longer you are participating in another human relationship, the more your knowledge and experience grows. There's this idea in the Old Testament. I don't remember what psalm it is, but it, it, comes out with the, it comes with the idea that in your relationship with God, in your intimacy, your face-to-face time with him, all God needs to do is look over there and you already know what he wants you to do. Does that make sense? Like you are close usually with the spouse and you can have, you can lock eyes with your spouse across the room and you don't have to mouth a single word. You know what you're communicating to each other because there's a, there's a life experience. There's an intimacy. There's a relationship there um, that develops over time. Same thing, parents with your children, you know your kids better than anybody else. And that's why mama bear and papa bear come out when people don't give your kids the benefit of the doubt and don't love your kids the way that you love them. Because you know their hearts, you know their weaknesses, you know their strengths, you know their struggles. That's the emphasis that Jesus is getting into this conversation. As he's talking to this mass of religious people on the hillside, they have their cultural framework of this is what prayer looks like when you sit down and eat dinner. This is what your prayer looks like in your household. This is what your prayer looks like when you go to synagogue. This is what your prayer likes when you go and enter into the temple at the time of prayer. There's rules of engagement. This is what your prayer likes when you step into church at Calvary. Here's, again, we we have all of these ways that we conform to other people's religious behavior. And Jesus is constantly getting our attention always on him and his definitions to live out your life and your communication, your relationship in his freedom, in freedom of conversation. There are times in prayer, worship team, come on up. There are times in prayer where your whole conversation, you need to be snotting it out on the ground, kneeling, head on the ground, pouring out your heart in, in confession, pouring out your heart in praise. That needs, that needs to be part of your communication to God. More often than not, the communication that you have with God needs to be that internal dialogue that you have going on where you're inviting them in. There needs to be some kind of zeal, some kind of passionate, separate, devotional life where you're devoting this time to just you and him. And that devotion time between you and him, it needs to be based on the truth of his word. So you're listening to him. And then you need to be able in that space where you're not just 
Um, if you need to communicate verbally, that you're, you have that freedom to be honest without any other ears around you. Does that make sense? That's what that secret hidden place is all about. Where you can pour out your heart. This is where I'm struggling. This is what I'm fighting with. You ever have those private conversations with your spouse that you would never have with anybody else because you need to work out this subject matter? You need to hear their opinion. Julie, we have these conversations all the time where it's not harsh, it's not mean, it's not gossip, but would you help me work this out, this scenario and the circumstance? You need to be able to have that devoted time where you have that conversation with God to work these things out. But here's what your homework is. Right now, your homework is we're going to engage in more worship. And in worship, as you listen to lyrics, it's not a stage performance, but there are words that are being spoken to remind you who God is, what he's done in history. There are words that we can sing together that are all directed at him, where he is in the secret place that we get to pray and praise together as a community. There's communion, this whole idea that it's, it's a, it is an object and a, and a behavior that he has given to us, not for vain repetition, but so that when you engage God in response, that you're engaging him in a way where you remember who he is in spirit and in truth, that you remember he created the heavens and the earth, that you remember that the creator became just like us, for a purpose. He was born for a purpose. He was born to sacrifice himself on the cross. To, re, to allow us to be dead to everything that is not of him and to be alive in him today. That's what we're remembering through communion, that he gave his body for us for the remission, the removal of our sins. I don't have to engage him in this religious framework that other people have defined for me. I, do, I get to engage him in a relationship according to the direction of his spirit and his word in my life and pour out your speech to him. That's what we're gonna do in the next few minutes. But then when we leave this room, what's the homework? What's the life skill? What's the application? Continually constantly invite God into your internal dialogue, seeking truth in that dialogue from his word and watching him transform you into his image day in and day out with the great faith that there's coming a day when you close your eyes in this life, you're going to open your eyes and say, what does that mean that we get to stare into the face of our creator? Can you imagine? And we're told that imagination, that hope, that understanding, that's what purifies our life. That's what purifies our conversation with him in this life today. Amen? Do you know what amen means? It's just a religious thing we say just to make sure that you're all paying attention. <laughs> so be it. But your will be done, Lord. We don't use Christianese just to have this weird religious vocabulary. We want our vocabulary always with the meaning and the weight of all of God's truth. All right, now let's worship.